When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Hey everybody, it's Matthew Collar here. We're talking Vikings football five days a week on Purple Daily, available on Apple, Spotify, and the Score North app, or wherever you find your podcasts. And look, if you're tight on time right now and you can only listen to one segment from today's show, here it is. Thank you, Jonathan, and we welcome into the show... Chris Trapasso from uh, CBS Sports. He writes about the NFL draft there. Now, a quick question before we get into the draft, Chris. Have they given Stephon Diggs the key to the city in Buffalo yet? Um, If we did not have this coronavirus outbreak, I think they would. (laughs) Yes. Just because so many fans um, around this area were so eager for the Bills to go wide receiver in the draft and just felt like, although John Brown and Cole Beasley played well last year, they needed that true superstar at the wide receiver spot. So Bills fans uh, are certainly happy here to get him. Although the Bills did pay quite a bit to get him. Uh, they had some extra picks. But, yes, uh, if the City Hall was open, I bet there would maybe have been uh, – already some kind of ceremony giving him the key to the city of Buffalo. Yeah, that is a, that is an inside joke. You are from Western New York, and when the Buffalo <laughs> Bills acquired Terrell Owens, uh, they literally gave him the key to the city. It goes in the all-time <laughs> embarrassing Buffalo Bills moments along with everything in the Toronto series, but that's a different conversation. Uh, what did you think, Chris, about what the Vikings got back in terms of draft capital? Well, this trade just worked out perfectly for both sides because, like I said, the Bills did pay quite a bit for him, but they had an extra fifth and an extra sixth. So it wasn't like they were going to go into the draft and not have any selections in those rounds. But for the Vikings to get more than just a first-round pick and to get a fifth and a sixth and a fourth next year and only have to give up that extra seventh um, to trade a seemingly disgruntled player, um, I think that was a really good haul for the Vikings. And just on the surface, in terms of draft capital, I think they did a great job when you compare that to Amari Cooper, to Odell Beckham, to a few other of these high-profile wide receiver trades that have gone down recently. Yeah, in my mind, you can win a trade and still lose a trade. Uh, in this case, you win the trade by getting the best um, you know, amount of draft capital back of any of the top wide receivers traded, you lose the trade because you traded a top wide receiver <laughs> and because you put yourself in a position where you couldn't make happy one of the best players on your team that you, you couldn't come to some sort of terms with him to go forward. So you were forced to trade him. So I, I look at it from that perspective, almost like, uh, didn't, well, I forget what the Bills traded Jason Peters for back in the day, but I remember Bills fans being like, well, oh, whatever, man, he wants too much 
much money and he's a pain in the butt. Let's get that second round pick for him. <laughs> like, well, yeah, but the other team gets Jason Peters. Yeah, they got a, I believe, a first oh, and first. a second in that trade. So and they, like, which ultimately ended up being like Eric Wood and Aaron Mabin. And then yeah. they did turn the second round pick into Jarius Bird. But still, if you go back in time over 10 years now, the Bills would have definitely never made that trade, tried to work things out. I mean, Jason Peters is still in the league and has been an elite left tackle ever since. Right, and I just uh, saw Aaron Mabin get cut by the Cincinnati Bengals on Hard Knocks 2013 that I've been watching back. Um, So (laughs) one thing that every draft writer that I bring on the show, Chris, is I make them uh, grade my draft sim. So I'm going to take you through my draft sim, and I'm not super pleased with myself on this draft sim, but I want you to tell me if I did better than I thought. So at 22nd, I took T. Higgins out of Clemson. The draft board kind of fell that way, that all the top receivers went off the board. He was there. Seems like a fit as an outside wide receiver to replace Diggs. And with 25, naturally I had to take a cornerback because they don't have anyone. Uh, So I went with another Clemson guy, A.J. Terrell. And then with the other three picks, Antoine Winfield Jr. fell to me in the second round. Pretty surprising. I don't expect that on draft night, but had to take him. Even if they don't trade Anthony Harris, I'm taking Antoine Winfield there. And then uh, Raekwon Davis with 89, and Danny Pinter, who's an offensive lineman from Ball State. He's a guard at 105. He had a really good combine. That's basically all I know about him. So grade my drafts him. Um, I'll give it a B plus. Um, I think if you ask a lot of other people, um, they would probably give it a lower grade because I'm seemingly higher on T. Higgins than anyone else. He went into um, the combine as my number one wide receiver in this draft class. He actually did squeak in his pro day, did not perform very well at the Clemson pro day, so it knocked him down to my second wide receiver. Um, but in Minnesota, to have that compliment to Adam Thielen, who plays in the slot quite a bit, um, I think would be perfect. It would add a, a different dimension to that offense that you are also getting bigger at the wide receiver spot. But a big part of why Stephon Diggs was so good in Minnesota was beyond his route running ability was how good he was in those contested catch situations. Mm-hmm. And T. Higgins yeah. gives you that right away. I'm higher on A.J. Terrell than most people. I think he probably would have been a consensus first-round pick until that national title game when mm-hmm. Jamar Chase caught three or four passes on him down the field. Yep. If you look at the previous national title game against Alabama, A.J. Terrell had the interception, the pick six early in the game. And the last two years at Clemson, he just locked down everybody in the ACC. He's over six foot, long arms, good athlete. So those two selections in round one would probably universally be kind of criticized, but I think they would be good picks. Winfield, um, is a lot like his dad in that he is a great active run defender. Um, we saw, obviously, a ton of range in coverage with the amount of interceptions that he had at Minnesota. The only problem with him is just he has two or three injuries in his career mm-hmm. that you're hoping don't pop up again. Raekwon Davis would be a, probably a little bit too early for me because I think at his size, at 6'6", around 3'10", you like that you can play him anywhere up front but he really peaked as a pass rusher, as a sophomore at Alabama. And I think what the Vikings really needed is another one who can not just plug a hole. I mean, they signed Michael Pierce. He can do that at nose tackle. Someone who can create pressure beyond Danell Hunter on the edge, especially with how much turnover there is on the defensive line. And Danny Pinter might be my favorite pick in terms of value in this sim because you're right. He had a fantastic combine. 
um, and watching his film at Ball State, I thought when I first watched him that he was so athletic that I figured he could still stay at left or right tackle in the pros. He did measure in a little bit smaller, so his, his right position probably is guard in the NFL, but with the Vikings kind of prioritizing athleticism over pure power, on the offensive line, getting yeah. him uh, at, what, 105, you said, I think that would be great value. Maybe wouldn't have to play him instantly, but I think he's going to be one of the better tackles or, or guards from this draft class that gets picked beyond the first round. So this was, it's in the weeds a little bit, but I wrote an article for our website about best draft fits among offensive linemen, and I went back and forth between him and Robert Hunt, who is a tackle, might play guard in the NFL from uh, Louisiana, but he seems to be getting more buzz now, and, and I don't know if he's going to end up being, uh, like, what, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, um, but it seems like it seems like this has a number of offensive linemen that the Vikings would be pretty pleased with if they ended up with... Uh, pretty much anywhere in these first three rounds. Yeah, I think, um, first off, Hunt will probably go in the second round, and I think some teams could view him as a guard, and some might keep him out at tackle. Um, He doesn't have as explosive of athleticism. He's not as spectacular um, with his movement skills as Danny Pinter, but I think he's more solid across the board. He's stronger, Mm -hmm. but you're right. that This draft class, um, there's so many of the scouting reports that I've written I just can easily recollect writing, hey, great athlete, but needs to get a a little bit stronger. Danny Pinter is one of them. Cesar Ruiz from Michigan is another. Um, There's so many, like, third to fifth rounders that I think the Vikings will be really into and be compelled to pick because they can get across the line laterally, might need to add 10 to 15 pounds, and might not be ready until year two to really – take the next step, but those Vikings type of offensive linemen will be there in those valuable rounds uh, on the second and third day. Talking with Chris Trapasso, he writes about the NFL draft for CBS Sports. I want to circle back to what you said about T. Higgins and the the whole pro day and combine and everything else um, because now the combine was a little weird. They moved the schedules all over the place and some agents didn't want their players doing certain drills. It seemed like everybody came up with bad three-cone drills. Some players just didn't do it at all, like Tyler Johnson. And uh, I wonder if this year, Chris, in your mind, is harder to gauge what we're supposed to make of NFL combine results and things like that, and how much you value it. Because Denzel Mims was a guy that in early draft sims and mocks was a late second round guy, and now he goes in the first round in every single one after having a great combine. Um, but, I, but I wonder how much in your mind you move things around like that, especially with a position like wide receiver, just based on the combine and in some cases the lack of a combine or a, a pro day that's on video. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. And, and in any other draft class, I would I factor in the combine quite a bit. Now that we have 20 years of data, we can really, it's easy to compare prospects to other players over the last two decades. But you're right that not even at just wide receiver, across the board, I don't know if it was the new schedule or what it was, but the combine performances were not nearly as good with the agility drills, with, with some of the broad jumps, even the 40-yard dashes across the board, every position were not as good. There were some rumblings in Indianapolis that that was due to the new schedule, and I think that's why we saw more top prospects not even work out, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. At wide receiver, though, and I, I docked T. Higgins a little bit because his pro day was not very good, but for wide receivers, when it comes to the combine or a pro day, 
it depends on what type of wide receiver you are. If you are a specialist in apparently getting open all the time after the catch, making defenders miss, you're, you're really a speed and agility-based wide receiver, and then you tank your combine, that throws up a pretty big red flag to me. Right. If you're someone like T. Higgins, that you're going to be winning on the vertical route tree, um, running go routes, post, post corners, not a lot of intricate stuff where you have to throttle down to zero and then explode back in a different direction, and you're winning above the rim in those contested catch uh, situations, not as much of a doc. It was just him, Jerry, Judy, and CeeDee Lamb I had graded so closely, and then after just some recalibrations, he moved down to number two. Um, but I would still pick him in the first round. I might be in the, you know, like the only one that feels that way, but I think he would add a fun dimension to the Vikings offense and still give you that contested catch ability that Stephon Diggs was so good at over the last few years. Now, receiver in the first is a debate we've been having on the show, Chris, because, uh, you know, you could take a wide receiver there to try and fill Stephon Diggs' shoes, but then you're neglecting something else by doing that, and there's so many other pressing needs. And with Kubiak's offenses, they often feature one wide receiver over everybody else, at least in his past history. So in this particular draft, Sim, I end up looking at my board by the time I get to the third round and going, well, I haven't taken an offensive or defensive lineman, and they need both of those things. Um, would you advise the Vikings taking a receiver in the first round, or is it possible in a deep receiver draft that they should address other things first? Yeah, see, I would be fine with T. Higgins there, but this is kind of a question of, like you're saying, playing the board, that I have T. Higgins graded as a first-round pick, but if I had the intel that there's no way he's going to go in the first, no other team would pick him there, and he might be there in the second, I think waiting would actually be the better hmm. solution for the Vikings because, like I said, even adding Michael Pierce, um, who's a great run defender, with losing Linval Joseph, Everson Griffin unlikely to re-sign, um, they need more horses up front, and that hasn't been a problem for Mike Zimmer's team in basically his entire tenure in Minnesota, and I think it is time to kind of restock the shelves up front it's a pretty good defensive line class, but not the amount of depth in the third and the fourth and the fifth round as there is at wide receiver. And I think with Gary Kubiak, um, like you said, he traditionally features one wide receiver. You still have Adam Thielen. You have um, a good running game. So I, I think probably if you're looking at it just from positional value and navigating the draft, waiting on wide receiver, going corner, going defensive line – would probably make more sense for the Vikings early on. And because I've been watching Hard Knocks 2013 late at night, now my brain is connecting everything to what I see on Hard Knocks. But when they drafted, what, Sanu in the third and Marvin Jones in the fifth, like that is the dream scenario for the Vikings. You draft a couple of receivers in the mid-rounds, and then one or two of them click, and then you've got what you need. It's Sometimes if you blow it on the top wide receiver, I, I think it's a big hit to, to you because you usually force that guy in right away and then you find out that he can't play and he's actively hurting your offense um, and you really rely on that player right away. I don't know maybe that's like sort of twisted logic but I think that there's a value play in the middle to try getting two of those guys and hope one works out rather than putting all your eggs in the Troy Williamson basket so to speak. Yeah I mean even if they did go uh, like T. Higgins in the first round and then or Jalen Rager in the first and then fourth or fifth round a bigger-bodied player is there, Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty, Colin Johnson from Texas. 
I could see that. I think this would be the draft to double up. The Vikings just doubled up last year with B.C. Johnson and Dylan Mitchell, which, mm-hmm. by the way, you have to tell me what happened with Dylan Mitchell because I was a huge <laughs> fan of him. Had him, I think, in the second or third round in my grades. I heard there was some off-field stuff, and then he really had a hard time getting on the field. I don't. To me, I don't think Vikings fans should totally give up on Dylan Mitchell but he did not have a good rookie season. Well, I would ask you this to explain the B.C. Johnson, Dylan Mitchell thing. What's the hardest thing for someone in your position writing about the NFL draft to know? Uh, any of the off-field or medical stuff, because that can just get thrown around and there's narratives on each side. So I tend to stay away from those because I'm not going to trust what someone tells me that I don't know mm-hmm. about another person I don't know. Um, so just on the field, what he did at Oregon was really Justin Herbert's go-to guy, had a great combine, ran sub 4-5, good size, great hands. I thought Dylan Mitchell was a mid-round pick at worst, and then he goes in the seventh, and then he barely plays as a rookie. Yeah, see, I think that the hardest thing to know about how a guy's going to translate is how he's going to pick up an offense and how smart he is. B.C. Johnson yeah. is a really intelligent dude, and you could tell from the first second that you talked to him, you're like, oh, wow, okay, you really know the game, and uh, you didn't get that impression from Dylan Mitchell. But they kept him around in the practice squad. He's going to be a developed guy. There's no question which player is more physically talented, but one player they knew would line up in the right place on every play, could play special teams mm-hmm. if you needed him to, would run every route correct, and that was the guy that got on the field, unsurprisingly. So mm-hmm. that, that's where I think that we love to look at people like yourself and go, oh, well, you got this guy wrong. You were high on him and he blew it. Well, there's no way that even teams can know 100% how someone's going to yeah. process that much information and apply it, right? So I, I think that's what really happened there. Um, before I let you go, Chris, give me the guy who you think is really high on your board and other boards who could drop. Like, who's got that potential? Because almost every draft sim I do, there's somebody really special who ends up there at 22, and I think the odds are pretty good that if one of those guys drops, they'll be at a position of need for the Vikings because they need everything. Yeah, I think this would be a home run scenario for the Vikings, and I think it's Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina, Mm. that he got injured at the Senior Bowl like on the third day of practice, And that kept him out of the combine. His first two days in Mobile were outstanding. He was clearly the best player on the field. And really, a lot of people were like, why is Javon Kinlaw here? He's already a first-round pick. He's competing. Was unreal in one-on-one drills. And I thought was more disruptive than Derrick Brown in the SEC the past two seasons. Didn't have the stats of Derrick Brown, but pressures, lining up everywhere, using his hands, just more disruptive pass rusher. I think there are some medical concerns with him, and I think that the NFL still values the Derrick Brown type, although I do not think he's ever going to be that good of a pass rusher in the passing game-centric NFL. I could see Javon Kinlaw getting to number 22. I don't think he would get to 25, but if he's there at 22, I think that would be a home run selection. You would say, hey, we'll wait on wide receiver. Let's get a disruptive, long pass rusher to instantly plug into this defensive line. Yep, and I think it was a huge difference maker when the Vikings had Sheldon Richardson versus did not have him or even Sharif Floyd yep. a few years ago before he got hurt. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Chris Trapasso. That is T-R-A-P-A-S-S-O. One of my favorite 
people, since we know each other personally, but also favorite draft writers as well. So make sure you go follow him and read his work at CBS Sports slash NFL slash draft or just on your Twitter. So, Chris, great to catch up with you, man. I know it's a little bit of short notice, but I appreciate you jumping on. Hey, man, thanks for having me. Yep, for sure. Take care, buddy. Uh, Chris Trapasso there, one of my favorite. There's, a, there's only a handful of draft writers who I think have a really good process. And Maybe he'll be. he's one of them. Well, that's why I'm saying this about him. Like, that you should read his word. B+. Plus, B+. Plus. B+. Sorry. Plus. Excuse me. All right. Uh, so real quick before we wrap up today. I am a connoisseur of lists. Yes. An enjoyer of lists. Yes. People will say, oh, it's clickbait, your top five, this or that. I enjoy them. I love debating over them and wondering who I would have put and, and so forth. And I used to love when I would get Sports Illustrated and they would have their top ten pass rushers or top 10 quarterbacks or whatever it might be. And the NFL put out its all-decade team today. And great, this is right up my alley. Something I wanted to talk about on the show. And so I pull up the defensive side, and I'm looking, I'm looking, and I'm seeing players who absolutely deserve to be there. Cameron Jordan, J.J. Watt, Aaron Donald, Luke Keekley is the linebacker, Patrick Willis, unbelievable in the decade, Vaughn Miller is an outside linebacker. Uh, it's a weird thing to, the outside linebacker, edge rusher thing is weird, but okay, all right. Khalil Mack, Vaughn Miller, great. Can't argue with the corners. Patrick Peterson, Darrell Revis, Richard Sherman, absolutely. We get to the safeties, and I'm just at a complete loss that Harrison Smith is not here. Eric Berry, Earl Thomas, and Eric Weddle are the safeties. I think that Harrison is probably better than Eric Weddle, yeah. not better than Earl Thomas, but Eric Berry barely played in the decade. And he was injured all the time and then dealt with cancer, which probably helped his case here, which is a weird thing to say. And I don't mean to come off awful by saying it, but you know, he got a lot of pub for coming mm-hmm. back, but he didn't play that much. And Harrison Smith in 2017 played the best safety that you could possibly play aside from Ed Reed or aside from Troy Polamalu at his best or Earl Thomas as a center field safety at his best, the impact that he had on the number one defense in 2017. And then he's been consistently an elite player in his position where, I mean, Weddle I think has been a little more up and down. I would still say he's he's good. And then they have just a defensive back position, which, okay, I, I guess. And Chris Harris, who's a great slot corner, and Tyron Matthew. I really like Tyron Matthew. He was the original weed guy. Mm -hmm. That's where my saying came from. Always draft the weed guy. But Tyron Matthew has not been better than Harrison Smith over the last five, six, seven years. He hasn't. I mean, this year he was tremendous. He had another year in, in Arizona and with Houston where he's really good. And I think he's a great player. And one of those guys that's ahead of his time for being a rover who could play outside corner or inside or safety or whatever. I love Tyron Matthew and watching him play. He's not more valuable than Harrison Smith. So that's at least two, possibly three of these guys who did not deserve this over Harrison Smith. And the uh, level of play that Harrison has put on the field over the last five or six years has put him in the Mike Zimmer era. The the level of play he's put on the field has put him in the category of being a bubble Hall of Famer Mm -hmm. in my mind. And, and he barely misses games. That's right. That's the other that is the other point of this is that he's been incredibly durable along the way. He missed one or two games what in 2016 and the defense fell yeah. apart. Yeah, he missed he missed a couple games in 2015-16. 
They missed half the season in 2013. But other than that, he doesn't miss games. Yeah. I mean, Eric Berry had one, two, three, four seasons completely shot. He only played one, two, three, four, five. He only played five seasons during the decade Eric Berry did um, because of injuries. And he's really good. No doubt about it. Really good player. But is he as good as Harrison Smith, who led a number one defense by playing every darn position? Probably not quite as deserving because of a lot of the injuries. And then, you know, he had to miss the season. Eric Berry was a three time All Pro, which helps his case, five time Pro Bowler. Um, so, you know, it's not like he's got no case whatsoever. But Harrison is also a five time Pro Bowler and has played, as you mentioned, he only missed half of one season in 2013. Every other year, he's played at least 13 games. And that has to factor in at some point. Harrison Smith is just always getting forgotten about. Yeah, and, I don't uh, understand it. Not not flashy, I guess, is probably the biggest explanation. Is it because he's but, not as vocal as maybe some of these other guys? Yeah, it could be. Uh, or he just hasn't ever had a, a storyline about him. Yeah. Like Eric Berry, a lot of these other guys, they'll be the center of whatever main broadcast is on every time they're on it, but not him. It's also really hard to watch the Vikings defense play and miss Harrison Smith. You see him all over the place whenever they're playing. So I don't understand how he misses this list. Yep. I don't either. But anyway, that's, that's how it goes for Harrison. So, all right. uh, Mackie and Judd with Rami coming up next tomorrow. We will have Matt Bowen on. So he's going to break down. We can ask him about Harrison Smith, not being on the all decade team so we'll do that with courtney cronin tomorrow we'll catch you then here on purple daily this holiday season peloton's got a gift for you get up to 200 off accessories with the purchase of a peloton bike bike plus or tread and take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells a heart rate monitor cycling shoes and more peloton motivation that moves you this limited time offer ends december 25th visit onepeloton.com to learn more All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.